Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and today we're talking to Krista. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> today we're going to talk about um, unexpected difficulties, and Krista has a really beautiful story that she'll share with us about how sometimes life doesn't turn out how you expect, but that can produce some really good things as well. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, let's talk about, first of all, as, as we're talking about expectations and how life sometimes turns out differently than we expect. What was your life like as a little girl? What, what did the picture look like of your family life? <laughs> my family life was kind of crazy. <laughs> my dad was actually an artist, and, but I, li- I grew up in a very, very strong LDS home. Um, my both my mom and dad have very strong testimonies. My mom's more the quiet type. My dad's a very eccentric, but excited type. So I grew up very chaotic, but strong LDS foundation. So yeah, how many kids in your family? I'm the oldest of six. Yeah. So, so with that kind of being the oldest in, in sort of an artistic family, how did your testimony develop, maybe in unique ways? Um, well, my family, one thing I give my parents a lot of credit about, they did a lot of things right. (laughs) And one thing they did is, um, they raised, they made the gospel not only something you learned about, but something you applied. Like, Mm. we lived the gospel. Um, so... Nervous. What was the what was the question again? Yeah. So, how did that the application oh, of gospel principles help you develop your own individual testimony, especially as one of six kids? Right. Um, I think also we had a lot of things happen that were unusual growing up. My my mom got re- was sick most of my childhood, um, especially when I turned eight years old. She um, had a ruptured appendix that went undiagnosed for eight weeks. Oh my goodness. And so she should have been dead, <laughs> but somehow she survived that. We got her the right doctor and that put her body into so much stress that she developed Crohn's disease. And so throughout my childhood, she was in and out of the hospital every five years. And um, um, being, I think, yeah, in Idaho, they said that she was one of the worst cases they had ever seen. And so where my testimony really developed is my my family was really excited about the gospel. I, you know, we go back generations, we're all LDS, but um, I remember being in, I grew up here in Rexburg and just in this little fourth ward building across from us. Um, my mother was basically dying and they had a ward fast. And most of the ward was like 90% very old, but I was only eight years old and I remember that leaving a huge impression on me because Technically, she died on the operating table, but she said something pulled her back. And so because of these little old people and their faith and their prayers, I, you know, I I realized, wow, there is some power here. And so I had that kind of introduced to me pretty early. Well, and talk about gospel application. Yeah. You, you saw the fruits of gospel application right. at their most powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with that experience in, at such a young age, how did that affect 
your testimony through your adolescence and then as you were looking ahead to starting a family of your own? Um, I knew that I've always known saying that, that there's a power in the gospel, whether that be um, faith or priesthood or um, other blessings and such. There's a power in this gospel that n doesn't come from any other source on earth. And so I, I recognize that and I realize from, again, my dad, that we're living in the latter days and it's going to be hard. So I kind of always thought, oh, I, I need these things on my side. So I need to live the gospel in order to have access to that power. Yeah. So as you were living the gospel and, and trying to access that power, um, talk about um, finding your husband and your early years being married and sort of what your expectations were for what your family life would look like. So my dad being an artist, <laughs> we grew up starving artist, and I always, I always, always, always said, I'm just going to marry somebody with a normal profession. <laughs> I'm going to marry somebody with a paycheck and a normal life. That was just my set goal, and um, and my main thing is I just wanted to be a mom. I even here growing up in Rexburg, a lot of people made fun of me. All you want to be is a mom. That's all I wanted to be. That's. I didn't want to, I had no interest in working. I just, I knew that was my role. I knew I was supposed to have kids. I knew I was supposed to raise them. And so I wanted to find somebody who had the same, the same goals. And it's actually a little harder <laughs> than I thought. But when I met Jacob, it just clicked. Like I felt like I knew him forever. And um, so we got married. The plan was he was looking for a girl that just wanted to be a mom. He wanted to just, you know, typical LDS. Um, standards. So we've seemed at first when we got married, like everything was just falling into place, like perfectly. So you have that assumption that, oh, everything's perfect. It must be right. Um, hmm. He got an internship when, in um, Salt Lake and with the biggest funeral home down there. Yeah, normal profession funeral home. <laughs> but it was more normal than being an artist. But he, <laughs> he got all that lined up. He went um, to school. Uh, Jacob's kind of a fly by the seat of his pants. We actually drove out to Ohio, loaded everything up, my seven month old daughter. And he said, we're going to school. And I thought he was nuts because we had no place to live, but it worked out. I mean, so everything seemed to be working fine, but in the back of my mind, I had this feeling of, this is the easy part. And um, then during finals, um, Jacob started complaining that he couldn't read the words very well. And um, he's like, I have to look at the words kind of above the words to see the words. So he's like, something's going on here. I think it's cataracts. And so me being a concerned wife said, okay, let's get you into the doctor. And we all have this assumption that everything is fixable. But as he started to go through the first doctor, she panicked and you could tell instantly that, okay, something's not right. But luckily being in um, Cincinnati, we were at one of the best eye institutes in America. And so they sent him to this specialist, to that specialist. To, and I didn't think much of it until I sat in a room with him for one eye test where they put wires in his eyes 
and he had to keep his eyes closed for a half hour, complete dark for 30 minutes, and it dawned on me that, okay, there's something going on here. <laughs> um, but all we wanted to know is what's wrong, how can we fix it? Mm -hmm. um, but when the diagnosis came, they just sat, it was two doctors and Jacob and I and my little girl, she's about 18 months at that time, and they said, um, we figured out what it is. It's cone dystrophy. It's genetic. Um, that means stop having kids. And then they said, there's no treatment. There's no cure. Get a good pair of sunglasses and bye. And I think we kind of went into shock for the first year. We just, we didn't know, you know. And actually, there was so little known about his disease, because I think it's about one in a million, Wow. that we kind of had to do the research ourselves and figure stuff out ourselves. And um, anyways, we just went on, because he had a job lined up afterwards, and we just kind of went on with that. And we started to realize pretty quickly, this isn't going to work. He started to get severe migraines, um, driving the Salt Lake traffic, uh, he couldn't take the hours, just other things. And so conference, I think it was 2009 in October, one of the speakers said, when you pray, because we've been praying for a long time, we need to know what to do here, we need to know what to do here. Um, one of the speakers said, pray very specifically. So I had this great idea. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray very specifically. And uh, that night, we... Jacob and I, we said our prayers, and I was saying the prayers, and I said, okay, make the way blatantly clear. What do we need to do? And the next morning, because of the recession, um, the company was downsizing, and Jacob got downsized. And, oh my gosh, <laughs> um, that, that was hard, because we didn't just lose a job, we lost a career. Right. So... So at that point, I mean, your parents had taught you her gospel principles. If you apply them, you get power. Right. How were you feeling about that pattern that had been established? Um, Jacob and I always know that the priesthood, because it is power of God, will heal Jacob. Instantly. I have no doubt. Sorry. I have no doubt about that. I have no question. Um, but as we were going through this and we sat down with the um, stake president to renew our temple recommends, the stake president said something very interesting to Jacob. He said, are you a man of faith? And we think, oh yeah, I have faith to be healed. Um, but I think over, I don't think that's the objective. Mm. It's over time I've, I've learned faith does not, how do I say it? It's required more faith to live with this and let it run its course than it would have to just be healed. And I think sometimes we take faith in that power that we just want our problems to go away and we've got to have more trust in the Lord that he wants something to come about because of your trial. So if in this case, at least not yet, faith has not manifested itself in healing power, right. 
how has your faith empowered you in different ways? Because some people might say, well, then that's not true faith. Right. But what does your faith look like in terms of how you have found power, even on the days that are difficult? Um, loaded <laughs> um well I, i'm and i'm loaded. especially thinking um if you want to talk about the the loss of a career um what did you end up having to do to support your family um because that's a kind of power but a completely right. unexpected one and maybe disappointing is power disappointing sometimes yeah i think in this case yeah. it was um Again, I'm a perfectionist. I have my own ideas about stuff. I like to plan stuff. I like my schedule. I like my routine. I like everything just top, 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 you know, perfect. And Jacob's the same way. So I kind of feel like this is the Lord's way of, just kidding, <laughs> you know. Um, so we, it was the recession. We looked around for jobs, couldn't get jobs. We contacted universities for help and assistance in getting him a better education, perhaps steering in another direction. I kid you not, everybody lost our number. People wouldn't call us back. We call back, they say, we don't have you on record. I mean, it just kind of felt like um, our bishop at the time told us, he's like, sometimes the Lord just kind of hedges up your way to like steer you into the right direction. And Jacob always said before, he's like, you know, we should run our own business. We, we can do this. I, I understand marketing. You, we could do this. We could do that. And I did not want to do that. I had no interest whatsoever. I grew up in an artist home. I know what it's like. That was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, but Jacob kind of, he said, you're creative, come on, you can do this. And so I started um, seeing things and uh, formulating, oh, this would be cute, I'd want this. Or um, anyways, so we kind of started with, um, I, actually, I borrowed my mom's sewing machine, <laughs> and we just started sewing stuff. We tried all kinds of cute little bugs, things to sell on Etsy. We started just all sorts of things, and then um, then one day I just had this idea. I saw a little hair barrette, and I thought, oh, that would be cute on a pillow, and it was a little flower. And I sat down, and I just sewed this flower, perfect. And my husband s sat and looked at me and he said, how did you do that? I don't know. He's <laughs> like, you just sat down and just did that. Yeah. And it just seemed familiar to me and I didn't think anything of it. And I just, and we posted that and that would sell and post that. And then Jacob would use his, you know, his connections to just kind of get stuff out there. And, um, you know, eventually got enough money to buy my own sewing machine and just kind of built up literally from scratch. Um, the other thing, and I didn't realize then, but again, in our church, we believe in, um, we're unique to other religions, that we believe in the pre-existence. And patriarchal blessing and stuff said that I learned, I developed musical and um, creative abilities. So I don't know. I don't know if I learned this and that's why it came to me so easy. I don't know. 
but I feel it, it's just so familiar. Um, so I've had to learn faith instead of, yes, faith can heal. I've seen it heal before. I've had to learn that part of faith, honestly, is enduring to the end. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we have to kind of survive <laughs> from point A to point B. Yeah. So, and you have to trust in the Lord each step, line upon line, that each step is going to be given to you. You have to trust in who you are and your relationship and where you've been that you're going to get the help you need. And yeah. How have you been able to do that, especially when you had sort of a plan of what you want your, wanted your life to look like? And it looks so very different. You, I mean, you have a beautiful family. You've been able to have kids. Um, but there's this whole aspect of your life how do you reconcile yourself with that, that it, that it looks different? Um, and, and do you want to talk a little bit about how that isn't easy sometimes to reconcile? Oh, I mean, when you're here and, and sharing your story, sometimes it can seem like, yeah, we just, we just endure to the end and we just accept it. Right. But when it is difficult, how do you reconcile it, especially as someone who's a perfectionist? Yeah, I still struggle with that every single day. It hasn't gotten easier. I wake up every morning, what am I doing? I am a logical person. I am not, I'm not, I'm not crazy, but I'm acting crazy. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> um, and it's funny, I told a bishop once too, like we say, if you do X, Y, and Z, and then endure to the end, we act like enduring to the end is the easiest part. That's the hardest part. I don't know why we, word it that way, but that is the hardest part. So I do, I, Jacob and I both wake up every morning, we're like, we're nuts, why are we doing this? But then I, this is where I'm grateful for the scriptures, I'm grateful for the example of Nephi. I'm sure they woke up on the boat and probably thought at least once, what am I doing? <laughs> why am I doing this? I am. I'm an educated person. I'm not crazy. I'm not nuts, but I'm on the boat going to who knows where. And I mean, even though you know that the Lord's guiding you, you still kind of get that, that yeah. thought. So what, what keeps you on the boat? Um, so also, I do, I do have a lot of anxiety. I mean, I've had anxiety. I probably a lot of it came from my mom being sick all the time, a lot of uncertainty. So I, I'm a very anxious person. Um, I understand through a lot of experience that there has to be opposition in all things. Um, and when it comes to the spirit, I. I kind of, I'm also very musically inclined. I have perfect pitch, <laughs> um, but I kind of like, like the gospel is the one thing in this world that makes the most sense to me. And so when I'm living the gospel and when I'm doing what's right, it just kind of hums, it <laughs> harmonizes. It feels good. But anytime I start trying to, I, I get my moments, my determination, I'm going back to school and I'm living life like a normal person. <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I get that kind of icky off attitude feeling. Mm. 
And when I get that, I fall apart because I've had a lot of people. One of the hardest things about him being blind is seeing we live in a world of equal rights. It has not been equal. People label you and nobody has pulled through for us except for the Lord. I need that. Sorry. That's the only stability I have. It's the only one that's worked every time. It may not work the way I want it to. But that is the one thing that's pulled me through. And so that's, that's where I, yeah, that's, I can't leave that. (laughs) That's the only stability I've ever had. Um, you mentioned having perfect pitch, which must be awfully difficult in a dissonant world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you see perfection in a world that's so blind, not only to God's type of perfection, but blind to the beauty that you can see? There, well, there is a lot of perfection. Well, I, I don't know. We, we are in a celestial state. There is beauty in it. It's not perfect. And so I've kind of learned to see the beauty in things not being perfect. You have to, you, you know, you have to just find the beauty in imperfect things. Um. Yeah, and it's nice to see you as an example of that. You do have a beautiful family and a beautiful testimony, and that inspires the rest of us to want to see beauty in imperfectly wonderful things. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being willing to share that. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm.